name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm sure you know this, but this church, Community Alliance Church, is a part of a larger organization called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Last Sunday morning was a wonderful reminder of what God is doing around the world through the ministries and the people of the CNMA. As we began to step back a little bit and take a broader picture, kind of a snapshot of who we are and what we're all about and what God's doing around the world. You may or may not know this, but we are larger overseas than we are in the United States. There are a little over 2,000 Christian and Missionary Alliance churches inside the U.S. borders and over 10,000 CNMA churches outside the USA borders. And God is blessing in amazing ways, and you heard that this morning, last Sunday morning. The makeup of all of those churches is obviously extremely different based on ethnicity, based on leadership, based on worship experience. But there's one common thread that filters through all of them, and that is our doctrine and theology. We have a statement of faith, and when you take membership class, you see it. Obviously, we can give it to you. They're all over the place in a lot of ways that you can get that. But there's a statement of faith with a number of essential elements, and then four foundational truths of the gospel centered around the work of Jesus Christ, wrapped up in four statements. And that is that Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our Sanctifier, Jesus is our Healer, and Jesus is our Coming King. Senior High, a number of months ago, had the opportunity to go to a, tre- a retreat in Erie, and Kent Julian, the former National Youth Director, gave a powerful rendition to our Senior High students of that fourfold gospel. It's what we've been calling ever since A.B. Simpson established this denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We believe in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul attested to that fact in the book of Acts. There is no other name under heaven whereby people can be saved but through Jesus Christ. There is only one way to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. Universally, there are a number of people saying there are a number of ways to God. We are absolutely convinced, biblically, there's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. All of us have sinned, come short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. He stated his own main purpose for coming. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And without Jesus Christ, we're lost. And when we find him, he rescues us, redeems us, and sets us free. Only one name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, obviously, you've noticed this morning a tank here in the front... Once you accept Christ as your Savior, the very next step you ought to take is baptism. And a number of people tonight are going to be here taking that next step, having declared their allegiance to Jesus Christ, recognizing He's the only way, and they're going to now publicly declare that. A lot of people, when they come to faith in Christ, do it privately, maybe at the end of a service or in their home. But baptism is a public declaration. I know Christ. He's my Savior. I'm going to follow Him the rest of my life. We also believe in Christ our sanctifier. All the way through Scripture, we recognize that God's desire for us is to be holy. But that doesn't come naturally, does it? Holiness doesn't come naturally. Sin is so devastated and corrupted human nature that it's impossible to live this Christian life on our own power. Paul said in Romans, I don't get it. The very things I want to do, I don't seem to do. And the very things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Anybody have that happen in their life? And then he finishes that declaration by saying, who can rescue me from that transition? Who can rescue me? Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. 
And Paul talks all the way through the book of Romans about the sanctifying work, setting us apart and developing in us the nature of Jesus Christ to live the life that he has called us to. You cannot live the Christian life on your own power. You've got to live it with the power of the Spirit of God. And we believe that the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ is necessary for the believer to begin to live the life that God has called him to. We also believe in Jesus, our coming King. How many watched the news yesterday to see what was really going to happen on May 21st, 2011? There were a lot of people wondering what was going to happen yesterday. There were some that came to church this morning and said, good, you're still here. (laughs) If you're uncertain about that, you better go back to the first one, Christ our Savior. Jesus was very clear about his return all the way through the New Testament. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, when he ascended into heaven and the angels stood there while the disciples in amazement saw Jesus disappear, said, I'm just telling you, that same Jesus will return. Paul predicts it in Thessalonians when he said, according to the Lord's own words, I am telling you, Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ will come back. After that, we'll all be caught up together with him in the air and we'll meet the Lord and we will forever be with Christ. Scripture very clearly tells us no one knows the date nor the hour. But just because it didn't happen yesterday, Peter said, I just want you to know it is going to happen. So don't think just because it hasn't happened these last 2,000 years that the Lord is slow in keeping his promises. He said, I want you to know the same God will return. same Jesus will come back. Matter of fact, you're not even sure when that's going to be, so you better be ready. We believe in Jesus Christ, our coming King, that Jesus himself will literally show up and return. We also believe in Christ, our healer. All the way through the Old and New Testament, Exodus 15, I am the God who healeth thee. Isaiah 53, surely he took our pain, he bore our sufferings, by his wounds we are healed. All the way through the New Testament, when you watch the life of Jesus, you will see him over and over and over and over again. Touching the lives of people and radically transforming their lives from the inside out, but touching them physically and miraculously seeing God intervene and heal them. The same Jesus who healed while on earth, we believe, still heals today. One of the central themes or passages of Scripture that stands as a foundation for that is where we've been over the last number of months, James chapter 5. So turn there this morning. James gives us very clear instructions on what to do when we have a physical need, what to do when we have a spiritual need, what to do when we have an emotional need. And he lays it out for us in this section of Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, we began this talking about the subject of prayer. James began very simply. If you have a need, come to God. Not how you wish you were or think you ought to be. Come to God like you are. You're happy? Come that way. You're sad, come that way. You're suffering, come that way. You need help, call for the elders. Come to God like you are. Not like you wish you were or think you ought to be, but come to Him the way you are. We also, a couple of weeks ago, looked at the Lord's Prayer, which theologians call it that. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, I want to know from now on this is going to be called the Lord's Prayer. Theologians call it that, but we looked at certain elements of that Lord's Prayer out of Matthew 6 and Luke 11 that are powerful reminders of how we ought to see God. How he sees us and the beauty of being able to come to him with anything and any time and any need. 
and how he receives us and accepts us like a father waiting for his child to call and waiting for his child to come. Knowing that that Abba God hears us and delights in our presence every time again. You think that God isn't interested, doesn't have time, is too busy. You've got to go back to that second word, section of Scripture where Jesus says, Abba, Papa. Knowing that God loves you passionately and intimately and can't wait for you as his child to come and talk to him. This morning we're going to look at the next piece of that, verses 13 to 15. Now, we're not going to finish it today, but we are going to start, so I want to read it together. I'm going to start back in verse 13. James chapter 5. Any of you in trouble? Let him pray. Anyone happy? Sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the, power, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. In light of that, you ought to confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain in the land for three and a half years. Uh, again he prayed, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. We'll be in those last two verses in the middle of the month of June. The subject of healing takes on a number of elements. It goes from every end of the spectrum with more stories you can imagine on this very subject, and it literally goes from one extreme to the other. A number of years ago, there was a story about David and Patty Gilmore. They made a decision when their son Justin got sick not to take him to the doctors, but obey the word of God, bring him to the elders of the church. They prayed over him for healing, and they believed that to take him to the doctors would be a, a, a display of a lack of faith. So they didn't. Prayed week after week, confessing any and every sin they could think of. Everyone told them to go to the doctor, but they felt that that would be a lack of faith, and so they didn't. And one day, Justin died. And even then, they prayed over him over and over again because they believed the same God who heals the sick raises the dead. And so they prayed, nothing happened. Justin died. Autopsy revealed that he had a form of meningitis. That if treated, he could have been healed. A couple of weeks ago, I had a letter come across my desk and uh, Bob was standing here last Sunday morning and thanked you significantly for your investment in the Christian Missionary Alliance and, and, and what it does is you give every Sunday to the Great Commission Fund and every so often I'll get a letter thanking me as a church for what we do and how we participate and I got one of those and then I read the middle piece. There's a story from two missionaries that I'm familiar with, Larry and Karen Walters, serving in Burkina Faso in West Africa, came on February the 17th. It's a story of a local pastor how he shared about a mom who brought a sick child to the church for prayer. They took him, they prayed over him, and then he recognized that the child had died. The pastor described how he prayed for the boy continually throughout the process. They began as praying from church to church, from people to people, person to person, and they took him from clinic to clinic to find someone who would sign their death certificate. Finally, when they arrived at the very last clinic, the doctor asked, he could take one more look at the boy before signing the death certificate. And while he did that, the boy woke up, began to cry, and was normal. Everyone in the context of that was absolutely amazed as they recognized that it was the power of God and the power of prayer that had intervened and raised this little one back to life. When you hear stories like that, what runs through your mind? Does God heal or doesn't he? Why does God heal some and not others? 
Is it a matter of faith or is it total sovereignty? Where it's really up to God, nothing to do with us. A lot of people who would never be like the Gilmores who wouldn't take their child to the doctor, but there are a lot of believers who always go to doctors and never go to God. We have so many different views of healing and miraculous nature of God. The Christian and Missionary Alliance, at its core, believes in all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that every single one of them are available to the church today. Our roots and heritage is laced with incredible movements of the hand of God in very miraculous and powerful ways. In our library, and talked to Kathy a moment ago, is a book called Genuine Gold. It's the early history of the Christian Missionary Alliance, this denomination, that saw God move in the miraculous in an unbelievable, incredibly powerful ways. John Wimber, one of the fathers of the modern signs and wonder movement, read and quoted our founder, A.B. Simpson. He began to indicate that how the CNMA had seen God move in miraculous ways in its early days, but somewhere... In the 60s, I, I believe, to be honest with you, in the wake of the contemporary Pentecostal movement, whether out of fear or out of skepticism, we moved away from the miraculous and experiential to what we could learn and understand and figure out. It's a great book called Surprised by the Spirit, written by Jack Deere. You may not know Jack Deere, but Charles Swindoll, that many of you know, I listen to, I love his teaching is one of those that believes that some of the gifts, especially the sign gifts, are not available to the church today. I don't believe that. He and I would disagree. There's no biblical, from what I see, there's absolutely no biblical truth or foundation for the fact that all 29 or 30 gifts of the Holy Spirit are not available to the church today. Jack Deere was one of those that believed that they weren't. Until all of a sudden, God began to surprise him in unbelievable ways, and the power of the Spirit of God began to show up in his church. And he had to figure out, is it my theology or the power of God? Because now my theology and my experience is not matching up with what I see God doing. And he wrote a book called Surprised by the Spirit. I got a Baptist friend who said, we Baptists believe in the Holy Spirit. We just don't know what to do with him when he shows up in ways we don't understand. When you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit in three dominant sections of Scripture, Ephesians 4, where you see the gift of teaching and the gift of preaching and the gift of evangelism and Romans 12 there's some the gift of verse, mercy and gift of hospitality and gift of encouragement 1 Corinthians 12 is another list it says to one there is given through the spirit a message of wisdom to another the message of knowledge by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking with different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues all of these are the work of one and same Spirit who distributes to everyone whom He determines. As I read those sections of Scripture, I found myself in all kinds of contexts wondering, why do we see some in certain circles and not others? Because the power of the Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the exact same power of the Holy Spirit that is available to the church of Jesus Christ today in every church, in every denomination, because we really believe that that same Jesus and that same dynamite, dunamis power of the Holy Spirit is available to us today. What I wrestle with at times is why don't we always see it? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen on a regular basis the gift of teaching? Raise your hand. I mean, have you or haven't you? How about the gift of evangelism? Have, how many of you have seen someone you know has a gift of evangelism? How about the gift of mercy? 
You know, how many of you have seen someone has the gift of mercy? How about hospitality? How about the gift of miracles? Do you not find that fascinating? It's the same spirit. Same God, same power. What about the gift of healing? All right, I was hoping you'd raise your hand. Why is that that where so many of us would raise their hands because we see the gift of teaching, we see the gift of, uh, of, of preaching, we've seen the gift of evangelism, we've seen the gift of mercy, we've seen the gift of, of hospitality, but no one that I saw, unless I missed it, raised their hand that no, there's no one that has the gift of miracles? Why is that? This is an interesting sermon for me to preach. I got a little grandson that I love like crazy. And I've been praying for over a year. And of all days, my daughter calls yesterday and said, I don't know what's going on, but we think we have to take him to the hospital. My wife's back for months, prayed for healing. Bob Thomas prayed for two and a half years for his complete healing. I have a young girl in this church that I absolutely adore that I prayed over for a year and a half and haven't seen God intervene. And of all days today, I get an email saying she's back in the hospital. My wife and I leave supposedly for counsel this week, the gathering of the CNMA all across the country and around the world. And one of the speakers this particular week, his name is John Stumbo. John's one of the most gifted pastors I've ever met. Church three times as large as ours in Salem, Oregon. Got sick in mysterious ways that no one understood. Lost his church, almost lost his life. And I remember praying specifically on a very given night in an unusual ways that I believed that God would raise him up and restore him completely. God has done some unbelievable things through his life, but he's still not whole. When I look at those circumstances, I find myself even yesterday afternoon when I knew what I was doing and I knew what I was preaching and I knew what I was living, that I was either being tested by God or beat up by the enemy. And I'm telling you, I was beat up by the enemy. But as I began to look at those situations and look at what I said before when I am absolutely convinced that the power of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God is available to the church today, none of what I have seen or not seen keeps me from preaching on this subject. Because I've seen God restore broken bones. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen God move storms. Devotional I read a few weeks ago said, Perhaps sometimes we lower our expectations for God based on past disappointments. Time when we prayed and got no answer. But whatever the reasons for those disappointments, past experiences are not an accurate statement of God's power and God's love and God's intervention. He is able and willing to step into any situation at any time, at any moment. The prayers that expect Him to do exactly that are the ones that honor Him the most. Faith is always the appropriate attitude when we pray. When you pray in faith and nothing happens, if you're not careful, your faith can be shaken. It may be shaken for a moment. It can never be shaken in the power of God or what it is that we know God can do. Maybe this morning, and especially what I'll share in June, will help, because I know a lot of it's for me. In this section of Scripture, in James chapter 5, when James uses the word suffering, he uses a word that is not always related to sickness. And so often when you see us exercise this, which we will in a moment this morning at the end of the message, 
We call people forward and we ask them to come. If you want somebody to pray over you and anoint with oil based on James chapter 5, most of the time when someone comes forward, either they really have come forward for a physical issue or we assume there's a physical issue. But James doesn't use a word that is always attached to a physical issue. Sometimes the suffering that we're going through is a result of sin. Which is why verse 16, I believe, is in here. Now, Paul alludes to that. You can jot it down and read it this afternoon in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That prior to communion, you've got to deal with some of the stuff inside. Because sometimes there is a sickness associated with sin. But it's not always that way. But sometimes you and I both know that some of the reasons we're going through what we're going through is because we're making decisions that aren't pleasing to God, and then we wonder why it's happening. Are you suffering? Ask for help. Confess your sins. You and I both know that a lot of times that confession is not related to physical healing, but when it happens and when we do and when we unload, we recognize soul healing. We're way deep down inside the depths of our soul. There's an enormous burden that has been lifted. Greek word for sick in verse 14. It's not always physical. It's a word used for weak or feeble. Same word used in Romans 4, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, and 1 Corinthians 11. Any of you weak or feeble? Here's an idea. Call for help. Call for the elders. Let them pray over you. The word for sick in verse 15 means tired and run down. A year and a half ago, not a surprise to you, I don't know exactly what I may have shared at that point. I was tired and run down. My insides didn't match my smile. My insides didn't match my passion. I went through that for a long period of time, deeper than I honestly thought I would have gone. I found myself saying, I've got a great church, a great wife, great kids, great ministry, and great people around me. But inside, there's something wrong. It wasn't physical. A couple years ago, I was in the hospital over that, but this wasn't. And I asked for help. Didn't talk a lot about it here. My elders knew exactly, and my small group knew exactly. And they prayed, and God began to restore. Put the wind back in my sails. I've seen marriage, marriages that need a healing. So often, again, we come for a physical issue, and you and I both know that sometimes there's a, a relational issue inside of us or going on around us that we, without the power of God or without the intervention of God, will not see it restored. Any of you tired? Any of you run down? Here's an idea. Call for help. Are you weary? Any of you struggling with sin? Anyone dealing with deep emotional issues? Anyone dealing with a physical issue? You want to know how to get help? Do what you're told. Call for the elders. Let them pray over you. Are they the most spiritual? Not necessarily. It's a command given in the Word of God. In James chapter 5, we obey it. And we just simply walk together through it. You don't even need me. So often I hear people say, well, I, I, I want you to pray for me. Me specifically. Same with 
When, when, when many people or elders or our visitation elders go to the hospital, when's the pastor coming? I, I've had other pastors go to the hospital and they'll say, when's the pastor coming? As if they're not. And it's assuming it's me. I'm, I'm one of the elders. I'm the head of the elder board, but it just says, call for the elders. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you run down? Are you dealing with an emotional issue? Are you dealing with a physical issue? Here's some help. Do what you're told. Call for the elders. Let them pray over you. Let them anoint you with oil. I've said it before, there's nothing mystical or magical about the oil. We don't often talk about it. I, I teach this in membership class all the time, but we don't usually talk about it here. I'm sure a lot of you see people come forward and you see this bottle and may wonder what we're doing. Well, you know what we're doing? We're obeying the Word of God. The Word of God said, are you sick? Are you run down? Are you struggling with sin? Dealing with an issue? Call for the elders. Let them pray over you. Let them anoint you with oil. There's nothing mystical or magical about the oil at all. It's olive oil. In the Old Testament, it was used in a, a couple of ways. One was for medicinal purposes. They literally didn't have a lot of medicine, so they used oil to rub on particular area or an injured area. Shepherds did it to sheep all the time. That's the analogy that David had in mind when he wrote Psalm 23. They also used it for ceremonial purposes, a anointing with king or anointing a new king. And it wasn't just a drop of oil. It was oil all over them. And it was a recognition of the power of God landing on that individual or anointing them with the power of God. Nothing magical or mystical about the oil. We just simply obey the Word of God. I told this story in every membership class, but I have a friend who is a believer in Christ. Went to visit him one day. I, I purchased a lot of vehicles from him, and he said, You're a pastor. I'm sick. You believe in healing in James chapter 5. I need anointed. I said, Carl, don't have an anointing oil with me. He said, Doesn't matter. Come to the back. Went to the back of his shop, and you all remember the Wizard of Oz, the little tin man's can? <laughs> right? said, hold out your hand. I held up my hand. He squirted a couple in there. He said, okay, you believe in James chapter 5? I've heard you teach that it's not the oil. There's nothing magical about it. Do you believe it or not? I said, Lord, <laughs> I do. I really do. And I prayed over him with WD-40 for all I know. And, <laughs> and God touched him. It's not the oil. It's prayer of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews says it over and over again. Jesus says it all the way through the New Testament. The prayer of faith. It is not, well, let's give it a try. It's not, I don't know what else to do. The doctors can't find any reason, so why not? It is coming to a God you believe can heal. And a God you believe can intervene in your circumstance and situation. That's why he says the prayer offered in faith. A total belief that God is at work. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, Hebrews says, and assurance of what we don't see or understand. Without faith it is impossible to please God. He blesses those who believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Which that's the same word that James uses when he talks about Elijah's prayer. That it's not just give it a shot. I hope it works. What else can I do? The coming in faith believing that God is absolutely the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And that He can intervene, that He does love me, 
He does care about my need. And I come to him in prayer believing and asking. I've said to my elders before, look, if you do not believe in the CNMA theology, which they wouldn't be elders if they didn't, or if you do not believe that God does not heal today and can heal today, please don't pray over anyone. But we are convinced that God still works. And he is a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Sometimes it's not always a physical issue. Sometimes it's a spiritual one. Sometimes what God gives that elder or the individual praying is a, a word of knowledge. Where they recognize and know, I've been in situations, we don't talk a lot about it, we'll get to it one of these days, where I am absolutely convinced, I'm certain of what I've heard in my head, what I've heard in my heart is from the Spirit of God, a word of knowledge, and I've shared that with the individual, and the individual said, how on earth would you know that? And what God may give you this morning or God may get through an elder is the, a word of knowledge, a word of faith to encourage you and lift you up. It may be a physical issue. And it may be as the elders pray over you and you come together and believe in what God is doing and you've confessed your sins and you recognize that you're clean before God. It may be the result of that and God will touch you immediately. It may be the healing of your soul where God restores so let me ask again what James asked here. Anyone here in trouble? Let's pray. Anyone here have a need? Let's ask. Anyone here sick, tired, run down, weary, struggling, physical issue? Let's pray. Let's call for the elders of the church. They're here this morning. And they're going to be in each of these corners and they'll anoint you with oil. And it's not just for a physical issue. It could be whatever you have a need for. There are a lot of people who would never be like the Gilmores, would not take their child to a doctor, but there are a lot of believers who, for whatever reason, never come to God. When all the way through the New Testament, he says, you have a need? Come. Ask. Whatever it may be. Tim's going to sing a song this morning, and I want you to listen to the words of it. It's absolutely captivating and powerful. The song is from the vantage point of the widow in the New Testament who had the issue of blood, or the lady with the issue of blood, who just more than anything else wanted to touch just the hem of Jesus' garment. Didn't want to bother him, didn't want to disturb him, didn't want to slow him down, but she knew all she had to do was to reach out and touch, and she would be whole. And she was. And God restored and God healed. I want you to listen to the song as Tim sings. And then near the end of it, I, I know sometimes in music it's a little bit hard to hear. So near the end of it, if you have a need this morning, whatever it may be, I'd love for you to come. The elders are going to be here this morning. They'll pray over you. And they'll anoint you with oil. And they'll ask God to do an amazing work in your life. And if you're here this morning in one of those that fit in any of the categories that I mentioned, and some I didn't, you come. Father, this is your place, this is your time. This is your word, and we believe it. So we ask in the name of Jesus, during these moments together, that we hear your voice, and we hear your heart, and we just are obedient to your word.